welcome to the City Church Podcast, your home for the latest sermons and audio updates from City Church St. Petersburg. We meet each Sunday at 10.30 a.m. at 12.11 First Avenue North on the third floor. We're not going to do something if we're not motivated by something to do it. Paul has been talking about motivations for the past three chapters as we have worked our way through the book of 1 Corinthians. Paul has been talking about how our motivations play into so many things that we do and how they change what we do. Paul has been talking about the way that our motivations affect singleness and marriage. How our motivations affect the food that we eat and whose company we're in when we eat that food. And he's even been talking about our motivations in supporting ministers, as we saw last week. But as we look through this idea of motivation, what Paul is going to do in the verses that we read is sum up all of this. Why is it that we don't eat meat sacrificed to idols? Or maybe sometimes do. What is it about being content in our relational status? What is it about supporting Paul and Barnabas? What sort of ties, what's the thread that he has woven throughout all of this? It's this idea of motivation. And he's going to sum all that up. And what he's going to show the church at Corinth and the church here in St. Petersburg is that we are unwilling to sacrifice our comfort to see others come to know Jesus. I am unwilling to sacrifice my comfort to see other people come to know Jesus. Paul's going to come at us strong, so let's stand and hear the word of God. First Corinthians 9, starting in verse 17, says this. For though I am free from all, I have made myself a servant to all, that I might win more of them. To the Jews, I became as a Jew in order to win Jews. To those under the law, I became as one under the law, though not being under, myself under the law, that I might win those under the law. To those outside the law, I became as one outside the law, not being outside the law of God, but under the law of Christ, that I might win those outside the law. To the weak, I became weak, that I might win the weak. I have become all things to all people, that by all means I might save some. I do it all for the sake of the gospel, that I may share with them in its blessings. Do you not know that in a race all the runners run, but only one receives a prize? So run that you may obtain it. Every athlete exercises self-control in all things. They do it to receive a perishable wreath, but we an imperishable. So I do not run aimlessly. I do not box as one beating the air, but I discipline my body, keeping it under control, lest after preaching to others I myself may be disqualified. City Church, this is the Word of God written nearly 2,000 years ago and intended for us this morning. You may be seated. (laughs) 
Paul sums up his motivations for why he is doing all of the things that he's doing. When Paul talked about singleness and marriage, when Paul talked about the food offered to idols, when Paul even talked about why he refused to take money from the Corinthians, he is explaining now, underneath all of that, why? Why is he doing all of those things? He says that I became as a Jew that I might win the Jews. I became as one who is not under the law that I might win some of those who are not under the law. To the weak, I became weak. And Paul again and again is showing the way that he has sacrificed his own preferences, his own comfort, and even his own reputation in order to see some come to know Jesus. You see, one of the things that Paul was doing was showing how when we want to see others come to know Jesus, we need to identify with them. Just like Paul began to talk about how he acted differently in front of the Jews. What he's saying is, when I went to a Jewish person's house, do you know what I did? I ate kosher. And when I went to a Gentile's house, you know what I did? I ate what they served me. So if they brought out pork belly, I ate pork belly. And when I was at the Jew's house, I didn't ask for bacon. He is showing the way that Paul himself, that's a bad sentence, he is showing the way that he is adapting his behavior so that he might see more and more people come to know Jesus. And he kind of gives us two pieces of information, two ways of looking at things where we, where we mess this up. On the one hand, some of us under-identify with other people. You see, when we are communicating the message of Jesus, it's important that we understand the other person and that we understand ourselves. Because the temptation for some of us is to just say, look, here's the Bible. Take two Bible verses and call me in the morning. Right? And not make it intelligible, understandable to other people. Sort of, this is the Bible. There it is. You go figure it out. How's that work with our kids? Hey, children, here's an alphabet and Merriam-Webster's dictionary. Reading. Do it. No, that doesn't work, right? We have, to, we have to make reading intelligible to children, right? So what do we do? We start with small sounds and little words, right? They learn cat and hat and bat and all the other words that I could rhyme with at if I wanted to. But we take them on baby steps to help them understand. Why? Because it's important that we identify with their understanding and where they're going. Often as the church, we are tempted not to identify with others. Not to think about what Christianity looks like to another person. And how to make the truths, the unchanging truths of the Bible, make sense to someone. The other thing that Paul warns us about in this passage that he shows is not just that. Not only does he say that some of us under-identify, under-contextualize, but some of us over-identify. This is, this is the back side of that. Paul says, when he's talking about how he acts around Gentiles, he says, I'm still under the law of Jesus. Where some of us just sort of hand somebody a Bible and go away, 
Others of us are so embedded in culture, so alike to the people around us who aren't Christians, that we'll do anything they do. Yeah, that's fine. I don't care. Everything is okay. And so we end up finding ourselves in some pretty rough situations because we're sort of saying, well, I'm just doing what they're doing. Everything is fine. It doesn't matter. And Paul says, look, we are not under the law. We don't have to have the law justify us, but we are under the law of Christ. There is still rules. You know, it's interesting that this this sort of this tightrope in between over-identifying and under-identifying is something that was what Jesus was tempted to do. Jesus was tempted to take a shortcut to redeem the world. You remember the story of Jesus' temptation. What did Satan say? Look, he took him up to a high place and he said, all the world, all of this can be yours. If you'll just, just for a minute, bow down and worship me. If you'll just do that for a minute, all of the hard stuff that you're going to have to do, we'll just wipe that away. You just do the easy thing real quick right now, and you won't have to do any of the hard stuff later. We're tempted to do the easy thing. Is it easy to go along with our friends and do whatever they do? Yeah. Is it easy to sort of do hit and run Jesusing? Right? Here's Jesus. Okay, bye. Thanks. Bye. Right? Yes. Right? It requires no relationship to throw a Bible at somebody. It requires no spine to do what everybody else is doing. You see, for some of us, we just don't care enough about other people to make sacrifices. We care enough about them to sprinkle in a Bible verse here and there, but we don't care to get to know them, to understand what makes them tick and what the Bible has to say about that ticking. Some of us just don't care. Others of us are so like our friends and co-workers that they can see no difference. Here's an interesting thought exercise for you. If you were to ask your friends at work, at the gym, wherever you go to have hobby time, if you were to ask them, I'm a Christian, how is my life different? How would they answer? What would, what would your Christianity be saying to them? I know I'm guilty of being far too much like the people around me. And my habits, my patterns, my way of life look far too much like others that aren't Christians than the pattern that God gives us. What does being a Christian change in your life? Paul is saying for him, it changes the way that he approaches people. That he is constantly willing to take a step down. It's interesting, when he mentions all of the people in this story, all of the groups that he mentions, whether it's the the Jews or those outside the law or the weak, these are all outsiders. These are not the cool kids. Paul is not saying to the rich, 
I became like the rich. And so I bought myself a powerboat so that I could do powerboaty things. Right? No, that's not what Paul is saying. Paul is not saying, to the powerful, I became powerful. And so I exercised my Roman citizenship to get all of the privileges I could. No, what does Paul say? To the Jews, the ethnic minority of the city, I became like them. To the weak, those who are impoverished, those who can't help themselves, I became like them. You see, what's interesting is, Paul is again and again moving downward. He's sacrificing more. Why? Why would Paul do this? I mean, this is, this is a pretty radical way of life that Paul is talking about. Why would he do it? Well, thankfully, he tells us. He says, I do all of this for the sake of the gospel, the good news, the message of Jesus, that I may share with them in its blessings. He says, I do this so that by all means I might save some. Paul says he changes his way. He gives up his own comfort. First of all, so that some people might be saved from the wrath that is to come. Paul's alluding here to the fact that our sins have real consequences. It's not something we like to talk about, right? It's kind of it's kind of gauche to talk about wrath and hell. And yet Paul says, look, there is something real and it is bad that is facing the people that don't know Jesus. And I am doing everything I can so they might come to know. Paul says one of his motivations for this is that he might save others from hell. It's interesting. Pin Gillette, uh, he's the tall guy of Penn and Teller. Penn and Teller are the magi- magicians, and there's the one that like doesn't talk, and then there's the one that talks more than you know, more than enough for two people, right? And that's kind of their shtick, right? Penn uh, Gillette is an atheist, and like not a garden variety, like yeah. I'm not a fan of Jesus, but he's of the, like, Christopher Hitchens, religion poisons everything variety, right? He does not like God at all. But it was interesting one time when he was being interviewed um, about, do you get frustrated when people come up to you and try to tell you about Jesus? He says, no, those are the people that I actually think are the actual Christians. Because how selfish is it if you believe that there is punishment to come and you don't tell me about it? How much do you have to hate me? for you not to tell me about this. Now, I completely disagree with him, and he kind of goes on a rant after that. But how wild is that? How selfish do these people have to be not to tell me about Jesus? Now, that might be an extreme example. And yet, it goes to the point that there is something real that we need to be saved from. But that's not Paul's only motivation. Paul also says that he is motivated by sharing in the blessing of the gospel with others. The, the language that he uses is the language of, of teammates and fellowship. It's the language of we're in this together. 
And when Paul, when Paul talks about that, he says, look, not only is it so that some might be saved from wrath that is to come, but it's also because when somebody comes to know Jesus, we get to share in a deep and rich friendship that goes beyond the normal, hi, how are you? That goes deeper than that, that goes more below the surface. And Paul says, I'm doing this because I get to share with them in that. He says, I am sympathetic and empathetic. I move towards others so that they might share in the rich blessings that is knowing Jesus. It's interesting that in the past few years, our culture has made a lot about sympathy and empathy, about identifying with those whose voices haven't been heard. And I think this is something that is right and biblical for our culture to see. Giving voice to those who are voiceless is something that the Bible over and over again talks about. But our culture misses the second half. See, our culture is right in saying we need to be more sympathetic and empathetic. We need to hear from more voices. But why? Why should we do that? Our culture's answer is, well, because that's the right thing to do. Because that's what you should do. And the Bible says, no, it's not just that. It's not just so that we could be sympathetic. It's not, empathy is not enough. It's sympathy and empathy so that others may share in the beauty of the freedom of Jesus. Paul says that's the reason why he identifies with the weak in the city of Corinth. Not just to give them a voice, not just to have them be able to have their say, but so they may share in the riches of the beauty of forgiveness. It's interesting, as I talk about this this morning, if you're here and you're not a Christian, one of the things that is often leveled at us who are Christians is that we're sort of, we're sort of imperial, right? We want to coerce you into being a part of our team, right? That, that Christianity is sort of hostile and it's trying to take over everybody else. This is something that is, that is commonly leveled against us who is Christians. And it's interesting... Because Paul, in one of his most direct passages about how and why he shares Jesus with others, does not say, I do this so that we can have more people than any other religion in the world. He doesn't say, I do this so our market share of Jesus will go up. He says, the reason I do this is because I want to be able to share a meal and have real, true Friendship that's not just superficial with more people. That I want others to experience the truth, goodness, and beauty of Jesus. Not so our team is bigger, so that other people can experience this goodness. St. Pete, we do this all the time with new restaurants, don't we? If we have gone somewhere and had an incredible meal, what do we do? We tell everybody about it. We invite them out. We have that those people... Look, the reason why we always have Brooklyn South charcuterie at the shuffleboard party is because I want you all to love Brooklyn South because they are the best, most bang-for-your-buck sandwiches in town. It's incredible. And I want to share that with you. Why? Because I find it to be 
beautiful and good. Not because I want more Brooklyn South teammates. Not because I want to coerce you into liking sandwiches. Because the sandwiches are good. And it's tasty. And I enjoy it. And I want you to enjoy it too. The same is true about the gospel. When we really believe that it is good and true, that the message of Jesus is beautiful, do you know what we will be compelled to do? Share that with others. And not only share that with others, but share that with others who are different than us, whose cultural backgrounds, whose habits and places of being are different than us. And that's what Paul says he is doing again and again. And he sort of ups the ante as he goes on because he begins to talk about athletes. And he begins to talk about, he says, you run to win the race. You can almost, you can almost hear Herm Edwards' cadence in Paul, can't you? You play to win the game. St. Paul, you run to win the race. And what he's talking about is the fact that besides the Olympic Games, the biggest sporting event in the ancient Near East was the Isthmian Games. And it was held just outside of Corinth, just a few miles up the road, Corinth was the town that hosted it and it was every other year and so these people had heard and seen the games and he says look these people discipline their bodies I couldn't help but I, as I read this to think about so many people in our church who participate in CrossFit I have known professional athletes throughout my life Right? Whether it's guys that I went to high school with when I did college ministry, things like that. I have never seen anything like some of y'all CrossFitters, okay? <laughs> the, the discipline in eating that some of these athletes have. Oh, I'm going to eat six cups of rice, five chicken breasts, and 12 strands of broccoli a day. That's all I eat, plus protein powder. I, I mean, the, the, the discipline, right? It's, it's insane. Like, when I, when I see people that are there in the morning and then posting about, yeah, my lunch break, I got a quick workout in, and then I'm going to go to the gym tonight. No. First of all. Second of all, no. But third of all, that is unbelievable self-discipline. And Paul is using that sort of metaphor, the sort of insane, crazy, CrossFit person type of self-discipline. And Paul says, look, these athletes do this. They are incredibly self-disciplined, and what do they get? They get a wreath that fades. Do you know what the prize for winning the Isthmian Games was? You got a crown. Ooh, that's not a bad deal. Hey, Justin, what was that crown made out of? Thanks for asking. It was made of celery. Literally, it was a crown made of celery. These people brutally disciplined themselves for a crown made of celery. You know how quick celery goes bad? Leave celery on your counter this afternoon. You will wake up in the morning with slimy brown gunk. 
These people ran to win a crown that within 24 hours was slimy brown gunk. We are all self-disciplined. Every one of us is self-disciplined. The question is, what is our self-discipline pointed at? Most of the time, it's pointed at ourselves and selfish reasons. Why is it you work so hard at your job? Why is it that you will answer those emails at any hour of the night that you give up your weekends to go in? Why are you so self-disciplined about your fitness? Why is it that your hobby consumes so much time? You see, all of us are self-disciplined in these areas so that we might please ourselves, so that we might enjoy our life, so that we might be comfortable. And Paul says, no, what we need is to be self-disciplined for the sake of others coming to know Jesus. And that's hard. Because I'm willing to sacrifice to be able to enjoy a Sunday sitting on the couch watching football. But how often am I willing to sacrifice to see someone else come to know Jesus? I'm willing to wake up early to go to the gym, theoretically. (laughs) But am I willing to wake up early to see someone else come to know Jesus? You see, what's interesting is the reason this is true of us is we don't see value. The message of Jesus, the truth, goodness, and beauty of Jesus does not seem as valuable to you and to me as a job, as a relationship, as our fitness. As we read this story, yes, on the one hand, we see our shortcomings, and we see those shortcomings so well. But there's something else going on in this passage. The other thing that's going on so clearly in this passage is this picture of Jesus that Paul is painting. Because what was Jesus like? What was Jesus like? Well, he identified with us, didn't he? Instead of standing in heaven and saying, Y'all fix that mess you made down there, what does he do? He comes and is born of a woman. He comes out of heaven and steps into our dusty existence, into our weakness as humans. And then he takes on all of the ways that we fail, all of the ways that we choose comfort over others, all of the ways that we are selfish and are self-disciplined, all the ways we refuse to sacrifice to see others come to know Jesus. He takes that on himself and he dies so that we might share in his blessings. The same thing that motivates Paul is what motivated Jesus. The same thing that motivates Paul is what Jesus died for, that we may all richly share in the blessings of Jesus. So not only does he forgive us of our sins, he identifies with us. He lives life in the world like we do. And then he dies to forgive us for all the ways that we have failed him. This week, 
and in these ways. But not only that, he, res- he rises from the grave to give us a new life, to make a new life possible. So that, yes, we can repent. We can turn from our own self-focused, selfish improvement. We can turn away from our focus on self-advancement and begin to see Jesus and the downward mobility of Jesus, even to the point of death on a cross. And as we begin to see Jesus, we can begin to trust that sharing in the community of the gospel is better. Sharing in the community of the gospel is better than anything that your job will ever give you. It's better than all of the abs in the world. Sharing in the community of Jesus brings more lasting joy and happiness and contentment than any hobby you can pick out. Sharing in the blessing of Jesus leads us to sharing meals with those who are different than us for the sake of the gospel. Let's pray.